Good morning, Valley family. Welcome uh, Super Sunday. I understand there's a game going on today or something like that. Uh, just wondering who you got, Chiefs or Eagles? Let's hear. Okay, yeah, I hear that. Chiefs, no doubt about it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, told the, I told the men uh, yesterday, we had our men's breakfast, uh, about 110 men came out. Literally, uh, several of us stood through the whole entire thing because we didn't have enough seats, uh, which is just a fantastic uh, issue to have. But I, I told them, you'll never find me cheering for the Eagles, ever. Never. And uh, the reason for that is I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, and uh, I will never root for anyone at NFC East. If you ever hear me root for an NFC East team, it's an imposter. Shoot him. That's what I'm just saying, okay? It's just never going to happen. But uh, one of the great things about the game this year that I point out to the guys yesterday is uh, the first time that I'm aware of anyway, both quarterbacks are devout followers of Jesus Christ and very public with their faith in Jesus as well. I think that's worth clapping for, for sure. And so it's going to be, I think it's going to be a very, very, very good game, very close game. Uh, but we are here today, we're continuing this series that we've been in, week number six in our series about seven choices that literally give us the power of wise decisions. As we're starting off this new year, uh, and, and we'll be concluding this next week, and I invite you back for that. Uh, but because we're leading up, we're coming up on Valentine's Day, uh, I, I thought today I would save this particular choice uh, for this weekend, and that is choose love. It's so important to choose love. And it's not a natural thing for any of us to actually choose. We have to make that decision ourselves. And so quick review of where we've been. But before I do that, let me just thank you all for your prayers. Uh, this time last week, we were in Guatemala. We just got back Monday morning. Literally, it's been like this week has been the longest month of my life. And uh, just, just a whole lot of things going on. But we really felt your prayers. We're really excited about the first mission trip uh, that's going to be going down there. Mission team, short-term mission trip uh, coming up in August. If you're interested in that, come to that information meeting. Uh, we'll be able to take 15 people down and just developing that on an annual basis uh, as well as another nation that we're working on right now behind the scenes uh, that will be coming online for a short-term mission trip for Valley folks, uh, folks in the Valley family. But a quick review uh, for the series. This, Like I said, week number six. Week number one, we talked about choose growth. That we actually, actually make that decision. Growth is not a natural thing. You have to make the decision to take another step to become more like Jesus. Then choose enthusiasm. Uh, and, and of all the messages, really, I can't remember a message in the last almost 33 years that I've gotten so much response from uh, as that particular message on enthusiasm. All these messages are on our website. You can catch up uh, with us uh, by checking those out on our website. Then choose generosity. Choose rest. And then uh, last week, Pastor Randy did a great job uh, on Choose Connection. Let's give it up for Pastor Randy. Re really, really awesome that we, when we're away like that, we can have just solid preaching continue, no doubt about that. So here's the verse, kind of our theme umbrella uh, for this whole series, and, and that is Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11. It says, wise choices will watch over you, understanding will keep you safe. That when we make wise choices, it actually is like guardrails in our life, choices that God wants us to make. And, and understanding keeps us safe. 
And so the big theme of this series has been the choices that I make determine the person that I become. The reality is that you and I right now at this moment are the result, our life, we are where we are as a result of millions of decisions that you've made. Millions of decisions that I've made. That, that's who, what makes me who I am today. That's what makes you who you are today. And if you're not happy where you are, unless we make different decisions, we're going to be the exact same people at the end of 2023 that we are right now. And so we're, we're looking at seven important choices that are really game changers uh, during my reading recently, just on a, a personal reading, I came across this quote by A.W. Tozer, a great Christian author. He said, the driver on the highway is not safe when he reads the signs, but when he obeys them. Just, just reading the sign does, isn't a good enough. It doesn't really keep us safe. It's when we obey them. And, and last, uh, uh, yesterday at the men's breakfast, we talked about being hearers of the word. Not, I, I'm being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And it doesn't benefit, in fact, the Bible makes it clear in James chapter 1, it actually brings deception into our life. If we just hear God's word and we don't act on it, we become deceived. We become worse having heard God's word, not better. But we need to be doers of God's word. And so I want to talk about the whole idea of choosing love because this is not a natural thing. We have to make that decision to love. And, and I think the best part to really... To jump in, really, in 1 John chapter 4, the Bible tells us, speaking to followers of Christ, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's the clearest definition of the essence of who God is. God's not wrath. God's not judgment. God's not uh, retribution. God's not law. God's not any. God is love. In other words, love is not what he chooses to do. It's who he is. It's the essence of who he actually is. He can never do anything other than be loving. It, it, it's, it's the essence, and all real love comes from him. It, it wasn't even his idea. It all is him. And, and so what that means is this, that because God is love, it's not a choice that he makes. He doesn't have to choose to love you or choose to love me. It's who he is. He does love us because it's, it's the essence, it's the heart, it's, it's the center, the core of who he is. That means that God is the one who defines love. There is no love apart from him. And so he is the one that defines it. And so as it says, God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his son, and only, his one and only son, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. And so what the Bible is saying there is this. When you and I really comprehend how God loves us, the depth, the, the, the level of, of commitment that God has for us in love, the love that we've received, that love will spill over and we'll be able to give it to others. 
when we really begin to comprehend how much God loves you and loves me. So right here in this passage, there's a there's kind of a divine order. First of all, in verse 8, it says he is love. I've already talked about that. And then that God loves us, that, that we don't deserve it, we can't earn it. He loves us. It's all because of him. It's not because of us. And then verse uh, 11, so we should love others. That's the order. God is love. God loved you and I. And so we ought, we ought to love others we release what we've received. When we realize really what we've received through God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to, to live a sinless life and to lay that life down as a sacrifice, a substitute for you and for me. And to pay the price for your personal sins and my personal sins. The way that we know that is because he rose from the dead. There was no more, there's no more payment left. God demonstrates his love for us through sending Jesus. When, when, when the depth and the width and the power of that love hits us, it changes us. And love spills out from us to those around us. There's a lot of misconceptions about love in our culture today. Uh, you know, redefining what love is and what love is not. But, but let's, let's look at a couple of those, just three misconceptions so we really understand we're all on the same page. Uh, first of all, common misconception, real love comes from feeling. Real love comes from feeling. That maybe it starts that way, but that's not what real love is. Uh, that, that real love is just like this, this, this attraction thing that just happens and you can't do anything about it. You can't help yourself. That, that's not what real love is at all. In fact, kind of interesting, uh, last night Susie and I were out to dinner with some friends and uh, uh, we're getting to know them just better and, and asking questions, you know, we asked them, how did you guys meet? And they told us and they said, how did you guys meet? And I said, well, interesting enough, tomorrow, February 13th is the anniversary of the day that, that Susie and I met, literally, uh, back in 1986. Uh, and... Uh, I don't know if I want, you don't want me to bore you with that story or anything like that, but uh, okay, I will. Uh, so, um, so I was a senior at John Jay High School, and I went down to this Bible college in Pensacola, Florida. Susie was already there. We're the same age, but, uh, but because of my birthday is very late in the year, my parents decided let's not put him in when he's four. Let's wait till he's five. And uh, so although we're the same age, she was already a freshman at the Bible college. And uh, my brother, my older brother, was also there, and uh, he was a senior. And so I went to visit it and uh, thinking about going there. And it was, they had this Valentine's, Valentine's Day weekend, they had this Valentine's Day like dinner theater. And so I was first time I'd ever been on a plane in my life by myself, 18 years old, flew down to Pensacola. So I'm wearing, you know, like a sport coat and khakis and tie. I was like Mr. Looking Preppy and everything like that. And uh, if you can imagine, I used to have hair. I did, honest. And uh, kind of had a, like an Emilio Estevez vibe. That's what people used to always say. And so uh, I, I walk in uh, to this uh, banquet, this, this dinner theater, and I'm meeting all these friends of my brothers. And I remember seeing this beautiful blonde and she had like permed hair like it was it was so it was ginormous and I just I mean that picture is just seared in my mind and I was like hi I'm Greg Williamson and I mean I was QB1 and everything so I was cool you know and uh and I was like hi I'm Greg Williamson she's like hi 
And, uh, and I remember because she didn't even stand up when I shook her hand. She just sat down. She just remained seated. And she was with a guy, and his first name was Greg. How funny is that? She also in high school dated a guy named Chuck Williamson. Like, how more of a sign do you need from God? You dated a Greg and a Williamson, and Greg Williamson comes walking in the door, you know? So I, I, just, I, I just remember meeting her. It's, it seared my mind. And then I just, dinner theater went on. I'm meeting a bunch of people and all. And I look over at one point, and she's just like staring at me. You know, like our eyes just locked. I'm like, whoa. And so I just keep doing my thing, and I look over that one, and she's like, and just staring at me. We're almost done, you know, and winding up, and I'm going back to my brother's room, and, and I see her again, and I was like, her eyes just locked in on me. And so finally, I'm like walking by her, and as I get real close, once again, our eyes lock, and she goes, are you going to kiss me or what? In my mind, that's what happened. And I just, I just like to th think of it that way. But instead, she just turned her back and didn't say a word to me. And, uh, and it was two years later that, that we started dating. And I had to work for that first kiss. And that was my last first kiss there for sure. But, but it was literally, the, the, all that was nonsense. But we did meet actually February 13th, 1986 at that dinner there. But she didn't give me the time of day. She just shook my hand. So anyway, but, but see, so many people think misconception that love is some sort of feeling. And thank God for the, thank God for the butterflies when they happen. But that's not love, and it's certainly not love that will last a lifetime. It'll last a moment. It'll come and go, and I'm, I'm grateful for times when Susie reaches out to hold my hand or gives me a kiss in public that I didn't anticipate, and it kind of makes me weak in the knees. But, but those are moments. That's not really what love is. There's also a misconception that, that real love comes from approval, that, 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 that it, unless you approve of everything I do and say and all my opinions, then you don't love me. That's common in our culture today. If, unless you approve of everything, you don't love me. Unless you always say yes, if you say no once, you don't love me. That's not love. That's not the way God defines love and he created it. It all flows from him. Another common misconception about love is that, that real love comes from effort. You have to earn it. But the Bible makes it really clear that God demonstrates his love for you and me that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We had no ability to earn his love. But he gave it. Real love is unconditional. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 Again, let's look at it. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Real love always gives. Real love always sacrifices. Real love is always focused on the other person, not on myself. How can I meet your needs? How can I help you? Real love always looks outward. It doesn't look inward. What you can do for me, that's not love. God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. 
You, you know, when, when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the earth in the flesh, he got along with people. People really, really liked him a lot. Except for one group, the religious leaders. They couldn't stand him. And, and in fact, they had all these different criticisms and critiques of Jesus. And at one point, in Luke chapter 15, I want to kind of drop in on, on when they're just leveling all kinds of criticism on Jesus and how he responded. And, and we can learn a whole lot about love of how he responded. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love that, notorious sinners. These aren't just like average, run-of-the-mill, pedestrian sinners. These are no, 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 notorious, notorious sinners. Some of y'all understood that from back in the day. They're notor- These are like big sinners. And so they, they came to him and they liked Jesus. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus told them a story. And the story has really like three parts to it. We're going to look at the third part. He tells a series of, of what are called parables, stories that, that, that he uses to illustrate a point. The first parable that he tells is the parable of, of the lost sheep. And it talks about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them strayed from the flock and got lost. And the good shepherd left the 99 and went after the one. And it demonstrates God's love for you and for me because the Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray. And we've turned everyone to their own way. And and he leaves the flock to go after the one who's wayward. Then he told another story, the the parable of the lost coin. And a woman had a coin and she lost it in her home and it was so valuable to her. She moved all the furniture. She swept the whole entire house clean to find that one coin of incredible value. And it's just like God moved heaven and earth for you and for me because you're so valuable to him that he gave the best that he had, his son, Jesus Christ. Then it comes into the third kind of phase of the story. And that is the the parable of the lost son. Or maybe you've heard it referred to as the prodigal son. And I want to look at that story because I, I think there's so much in here about God's love that before we can love others and choose to love others, we need to know, begin to kind of maybe understand in a greater depth God's love for you and God's love for me. And then we can reach out and love others in the way that he wants us to. In verse 11 of Luke 15, it says, to illustrate the point further, this is the the third little part of the story. Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. How about this kid? So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Now, there's a couple things happening here that kind of elude us as uh, uh, Americans in 2023 that for a Jewish audience, the original audience, they would have understood real clearly some of the details of this story that escaped you and I. 
The, the first part is the younger son, when he asked for his inheritance of his father's estate, and his father gives that to him, just how disrespectful and dishonoring this was. We can kind of get that. But what we don't realize is that it, it says that, that he sold it all. He liquidated it. The father was wealthy and had a huge estate. And so what that meant was there were also servants that lived there that, that they earned their livelihood by working on that estate. And the son sells it, his portion of it. So his decisions not only were for him, but they impacted multiple people. Had a huge, huge ripple effect throughout the entire community where he grew up. People out of work. People wondering where their food was going to come from. People, how are we going to make ends meet because of this selfish, younger son? The same is true for you and me. We don't like to think about it, but every decision we make, it has ripple effects and consequences so many times on those who are closest to us. It impacts positively or negatively those that are closest to us, dependent upon us. And so I think there was probably like a collective gasp as Jesus is telling the details of this story. And in fact, there was a ceremony in Jewish culture, which is called the Kazaza ceremony, that when someone did something dishonorable in a community like that, the men of the community, and this probably was what was going to happen that was leading toward what was going to happen, the men in that community would go outside the gates of that estate. They would bring pots, and they would smash pots on the ground. And they would smash those pots on the ground and cause a line. And then they would say to that individual that caused shame on the community, this is no longer your home. You're not welcome to ever come back again. If you cross this line of pots, we'll kill you. That was a Jewish ceremony to any person who brought shame on a community. And the reality is that's probably what was going to happen if this man ever decided to come back. And he went and he liquidated all the assets. And the Bible makes it really, really clear. Not only did he liquidate the assets, but he packed his belongings. He moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. He wasted it all. He squandered it all. And about the time that the money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The most dishonorable occupation for a Jewish young man. Pig feeder. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, you know, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. See, the son still didn't understand the love of his father. He thought he had to earn it back. I'll, I'll work hard. I'll prove myself. I'll earn. I'll show you, Dad, that I deserve to be loved by you. He had no comprehension of how much the father is loving him all the time. 
And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. For a a noble Jewish, wealthy Jewish man in that day and age to run, it was completely shameful. I mean, some of us are like, yeah, running for me would be shameful too if you saw it now, you know. But, But he'd have to literally have to hike up his robe and reveal his legs, which was totally shameful, and run. But this father ran. Why did he run? Why did he run? He ran to get out in front of the crowd that wanted to point the accusing finger, that wanted to level the shame and the accusations against his son. He ran to protect his son's life, to get out before them, and to shield him with his body. And to show his son, I love you and there's nothing you can do to change that. Even the terrible decisions you've made, it's not enough to stop my love. That's why he ran. And he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he goes on and he says, but, but his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on. What did he mean? He reminded him of his identity. This is my family robe I wrap around your shoulders. You are my son. He forgot who he was. And his father reminded him. And, th- and then he says, get the ring for his finger, the signet ring that he would seal. The father would seal Any important message in wax, he'd seal that signet ring. He said, take that signet ring, put it on my son's hand. This is my boy that I love. And then he put sandals on his feet. And he said, kill the calf that we've been fattening, a celebratory calf that was was raised just for that purpose of a celebration, a sacrifice to be made for a celebration. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was, this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost but now he's found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. And I'll leave it to you to read the rest of the story because the older son comes home and he is not happy at all with what he finds. The older son represents those steeped in religion that always do the right thing on the outside but on the inside for the wrong reason. The father has to have some words with the older son as well. Jesus told this story and all of a sudden you could see the truth of how much God, our heavenly father, loves us begin to hit the crowd that day just like God wants it to hit you and to hit me. Again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other, just like God has loved you and I. Even when we turn, even when we, we, we run into wild living, everything opposed to what the Father wants for us, 
He stands there, I love you, and there's nothing you can do to change him. That's what Jesus was showing the religious leaders that day. So real practically, once, once, if we just allow that truth to hit our hearts, how much God really loves you, how much God really loves me, it, it transforms our hearts when we receive that love. And, and because we receive that love, then we can, we can give that love to other people. Three real practical ways we can do that, and then I'm done. The, the first thing I encourage you to see them. One, one of the greatest ways that we can show someone we love them is to see them. Acknowledge them. I encourage you just real practically in response to this message today, make a list this year, five to ten people that you're determined, I'm going to show them how much I love them. I, I, I'm going to make sure they know. And, and make sure that the people on that list aren't the ones that are the easiest to love. They probably should be the ones that are the hardest to love. Uh, maybe it's a maybe it's a, a strange relationship with someone, an old friend or, or a family member. That, that you just, you've just been ignoring them. Just not going to pay you any attention. It's time to see them again. Because love has everything to do with the person who loves, not the person who receives the love. See them. The second thing is, is serve them. Serve them. Sometimes... The most powerful statement that you and I can ever make, statement of love is this. What can I do to help you? What can I do to help? It, it, it just communicates so much from, from one person's heart to another. I'm here to help. What can I do? Tell me what I can do. See them. Serve them. As I like to say, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. It shows love to others. For, for many of us, the greatest gift, the greatest, can I put it this way, present that we could give someone else is our presence, is our undivided attention. Put the phone away, turn off the TV, close the computer, and just give someone your full, undivided attention. It communicates love. See them. Serve them. And here's the third thing. Just show them. Just show them. Just, just pray, God, let me, help me to show how much I love. You show how much you love by, by being there, by the tone you choose. But by the words, by the actions, just, just demonstrate. I remember, I remember one of my professors in, in Bible college, he, he said this one day in class. I never have had to write it down. It's, it's stuck with me all these years. He said, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear the words you're saying. Your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear the words you're saying. Show them. See them. Serve them. Show them how much you love. 
When God's love fills our heart, it spills over into those around us. And it impacts them for his sake. Let me end with this, a wonderful quote by Mother Teresa. Message about love, seems like you gotta get one in there by Mother Teresa for sure, who just epitomized love in this world. She says, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter I think that's what God wants for you and for me, to choose to be a little pencil in the hand of a writing God that's writing a love letter to them. See, the reality is this. You can't change this world. I can't change this world. But I can change my world. Father, we receive that love, but Father, let us extend that love to those around us, that we would see them, that we would serve them, and that we would show them, Lord, to be that little pencil in your hand as you are sending a love letter to the world. Thank you for loving us so much, and may we your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right now in the stillness of this moment, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or to stand up or, or anything like that. I just would love to lead you in a prayer that you can repeat after me, even in a whisper right where you are. This is not for the person next to you. This is for God and he hears and he's close and he loves you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. 
So if you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior, just repeat this prayer after me right now, right where you are. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sin today. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And Jesus, I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward, and I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Now, as is our custom here at Valley, I just want to speak one of the many blessings over you that's recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. Uh, God gave this particular one and, and said, when these words are spoken over my people, my name is being put upon my people. So if you'd like to receive this blessing right now, I just invite you to open up your hands like you're receiving a gift from God because these words that I'm honored to speak over you truly are a gift from him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and may he give you his peace. God bless you, Valley. Have a great week.